Welcome travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. And this is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your not-so-humble guides on the quest for RPG adventures. Here at Tabletop Journeys, we are all devoted role players and storytellers at heart, and we absolutely love sharing our passion with you. On our show, we feature diverse tabletop RPG systems, demonstrating them through actual plays and breaking down the rules to provide you with tips, tools, and techniques to help you navigate them. We also love bringing the content creators behind these games into the studio to give you a peek behind the curtain with relevant and insightful interviews. Let us help you get the most out of your story, no matter what game world or system you're playing. Because detailed settings, heroic characters, diverse NPCs, and a focus on story over rules can make any campaign legendary. Here at Tabletop Journeys, we've leveled up our game and we're prepared to make your next role legendary. We've just started a partnership with FanRoll Dice and they have over 300 product options to choose from. Gemstone, metal, new liquid core dice, and so much more. Better yet, listeners to the Tabletop Journeys podcast can get 10% off on their orders when they follow the link below and use discount code PODCAST10. A portion of these purchases come back to us, and this is a great way for you to help support the show. All right, we are live. Welcome, everybody, to today's episode. Welcome to a Catacon, everybody. Very nice to see you here. We're super pumped to go ahead and be here. So we are Tabletop Journeys. I'm Josh. I'm Lee Wanika. And I'm Glenn. Yeah, and this is talking. our first live studio audience. Uh, that's not entirely true. We have done no. one live show before. That's Yeah, up at JamesCon. But, you, but you, I wasn't right. able to be that's there. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. This live show yeah. is the, the first that all three yeah. of us have, have gotten to. We have recorded episodes. Uh, Lives. In your old office. Yeah, and yeah. that's yeah. right. We did the yeah. one in, in my in, old in office. Connecticut, yeah. Uh, but our first time appearing live at a convention with all three of us, uh, we are really super pumped to go ahead and be here. Uh, glad to have all you folks out here listening. So... Our show is largely conversational, so the three of us are basically going to have a conversation up here. But please, if you have questions about, uh, or you think that we're wrong, which is entirely possible, don't hesitate. Raise your hand, throw it out, let us know. And hopefully the folks listening on our YouTube channel will also be able to go ahead and they'll fire out questions and we'll be able to answer those along the line. And I think we should start uh, today's episode the way that we always do with our favorite game. Where is Glenn today? I think you know exactly where I, I am. I do know today, exactly Josh, where you because are. you're sitting to my right. That's true. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. no, the RV is here too, and yep. the wife. So we came down to a catacomb with a four-day drive versus the easy flyers. <laughs> we, we, we set out on Halloween to get down here. Oh no, we left the day before Halloween because we added that stop in yeah. Michigan to come down here. So we're staying in Cedar Creek State Campground, just south east of Xenia, okay. I believe, is the name of the town. Yeah, and yeah, it's. A nice little state park. It's crazy, though, because it was empty when we got here. I don't know what's going on this weekend, Yeah, but we wanted to move sites because we couldn't see that the site was at a steep angle. Yeah, yeah. 
but everything was booked for Friday through Sunday. Huh. For some reason, in a closed state campground, the bathrooms are shut down. They've got porta potties out, but you can still rent there. But it filled up. How are you, Mr. Miller? I mean, we've asked right. Glenn. Yeah. Right. We, 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 did, we did the first thing. Where, you know, where's Glenn We're, today? I am doing great. It yeah. is my first time in Dayton, and I'm having a very Ditto. exceptional yep. experience. Like the staff here at the yep. Dayton so, Convention Center is yep. amazing. They're very helpful. When things go wrong, they're extremely responsive and, and exorbitantly kind. Yeah. To a person I've spoken to, smiles and kindness, and that's a great thing to say about any city in any state. If that's how your people present to newcomers, have at it. And I think that leads into kind of what we're going to be talking about today and how you present to newcomers. Yeah. But, um, the crew and staff from Macaticon that's running. Oh my God. Have oh, Mike, yeah. Mike Ross was on a hell of a show. Yeah. Holy Top crap. Flight. Yeah. Top flight. Like, been uh, uh, it's yeah. been uh, just, and yeah, like, a ton of people here this morning when we first showed up. We were looking yesterday. Yeah. Like the room that we're playing in is huge. There's oh God, a ton of space. Perfect. And the tables are spaced like, out, so you like can half actually. Full yesterday, we were looking this morning when Luminique and I showed up at nine thirty, nine o'clock this morning. Like that room was like it was way more people in there. I was like, oh no, this is like yep, a for real. There's a like real a deal. bunch of people in here. So um, yeah. One of the things I've noticed having done in this year, in in the new times after after post pandemic, going to a lot more conventions this year than I've been to yeah. in previous years, was the the fact that most conventions they build it or set it up so that the tables are exceptionally tight. Yes. So when you're running a game at a table, you are practically on top. Glenn and I did a convention earlier this year where literally you had to be careful where you spaced your chairs because my the back of my chair, if I sat at a good distance those in the audience can see what kind of distance I actually need. I'm talking front to back. <laughs> um, I had to be careful because if there was somebody sitting behind me, we couldn't have two right. people sitting back right, to back, right. but that's how tight the tables were. And oh my God, um, the noise wars that would go back and forth because you're getting louder and louder yeah, trying to hear your it, players and make sure they yep. hear you over yeah. the people right beside yeah, so, you. And, Man, and again, chaotic. one of those things that we're going to get into today with today's topic, but this is perfectly spaced. Big, spacious round tables. If you needed to get six to eight because you're running a game that's bigger, perfect. If you have a more intimate game, four, perfect. It was never, it was neither yeah. too big nor too small. Mm -hmm. That's actually a very hard thing for a lot of convention goers to, to deal with because they don't set that. For convention runners, it is something to consider in your setup process. But right. it was it's amazing because we ran our Star Trek. I, I ran a Star Trek game. Yep. There was games at every table around me. So they had them set up in line. So there's one in front of me, one behind me. And there was one to my left and to my right. And the space between them was such that I didn't hear any one thing at any other table yeah just a you murmur. could hear some murmurs around yeah. you but your table was your isolated island of ttrpg yeah. awesome yep, yep. And yep. fantastic conversation right here at the start to segue us right into what our episode topic right. is going to be today because right. what better place to talk about the difference in setting up a game to run at a convention than at a convention, at a convention. running yeah. games yeah. Yeah. Well, you just so think somebody Plan that maybe? Uh, Do you think our production guy maybe said, whoever, hey, whoever why don't we our put show that topics on? is yeah. very smart and yeah, handsome. Yeah. Very and the, handsome. And the two folks that actually go ahead and say, yeah, yeah. I like that, will Less actually so, show up and do it. Yeah. They're not too shabby either because <laughs> they're smart as whips for just recognizing that piece of brilliance. Yeah. So, Glenn, since you cracked open the nut, we'll go ahead and let you start first. So I know what I don't usually take over the MC what? duties for I know. you yeah. when I actually announce no. the topic. Hey, Shame that's on me. Yeah. That's totally yeah. fine. I was half expecting that people's elbow had been thrown. <laughs> for you if you need it but so you opened up tonight's yeah. topic talk to us about the game that you ran yesterday and how that worked and what were your thoughts right. about because one of the things that we definitely wanted to touch on today is how do you plan on running games 
at conventions with people that you do not know right. and have never met before. Because we've said this before, that we are spoiled with our actual play yeah. content because we know really great role players. Mm -hmm. Just and like most of our Patreons like, are among them at this I mean, point it, too. So our Patreons games together, they're pretty solid. And and the network of podcasts that we work with, mm -hmm. like Micro Nineteen is the Dragon. Partner on yeah. the game is just off the it, It's chain. absolutely. How does that change when you are planning a session, a time box session, right? Mm -hmm. Because we got a scheduled block of time. Yep. We can set how long we want, but it's still a scheduled block of time. When people are going to have commitments before and after that kind of thing. Yep. For people that you don't know, like, how did you tackle that problem? You hit all the touch points for yeah. what's different all, all right there. And, and if you're preambling question, the biggest things you need to do is you need to stop and think about what do I need to do to make this game work with a group of strangers within the time constraints and still have a story that's interesting with character ties to it, knowing that you're not going to have a full campaign to be able to build those and build off of them. So that's a big part of what I did. I ran Monster of the Week powered by the Apocalypse game because I've decided to take on the PBTA games as my piece of what I'm learning new this year. You, we've got the Star Trek Adventures yep. going. I'm going to do PBTA. I've been learning Lumen 2 and Savage Worlds, but I'm starting with Powered by the Apocalypse. Um, and Monster of the Week I had to go with because I am a huge Supernatural fan, Buffy fan, Fringe fan, Grimm fan. I mean, Angel's better. Angel is solid and Angel is not better. You've never even finished. You don't even want to open this can of worms with me right now. You want to break out the script no. scouts on a violation that you've made on your promise to watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer if I watched Angel? Because I watched all of Angel, kid. So that's our show for today. Uh <laughs> <laughs> but at any rate, I honestly think just based on my initial playing it, and I've been really into listening to The Crit Show, which does a Monster of the Week AP, and it's phenomenal. A group of, prof of professional theater people that are putting this on. They're already improv performers, and they're just, they're just in insanely good. But it gave me so much insight into how to run the game that I've been really absorbing that material and just trying to really nail it down. But I, have, I, I did have to really think about it, because coming into this, I'm like, okay, each one of the playbooks comes with some specific moves that they choose from and some extra gear and options that they get. And one of the first steps is deciding on which playbooks are going to work best for the story because you don't want to wind up putting a pre-gen or a character class into your story setting, into your game session that is going to have a skill set that's just crap for your adventure. Yeah. Right? You don't want to pick that one really specialized class that's not going to apply like a Gloomstalker going somewhere in broad daylight. So that was one of the first pieces. I picked my playbooks that would go with the story I was doing. And then I went through them and piece by piece, I looked for things that I needed to make pre-decisions on because Monster of the Week, you create your character at the table. So it's not like I'm going to bring complete pre-gens. So what I'm bringing is playbooks, but I'm going through and making notes on them. Like on the expert, they get a haven or a sanctum that has special features in it that they can use in game. If they hit the books and they have a library, it gives them plus one forward on investigative mystery roles as an example. So if I'm going to include an expert, it won't do me any good to send them to Handfast, Michigan, which probably doesn't actually exist. I just randomly placed the town <laughs> of Michigan. So. Yeah. But their haven's in St. Louis. That's just not going to help them. So I've right at the top of the road, your haven is an RV. And then I crossed out the two options that wouldn't fit in an RV, the oublette and the panic room. Those just aren't, there's just not room. But I left everything they could to make choices, but the things where it made sense for me to pre-make the choice or to line out a selectable ability that's not going to apply to this story. Because if you have a move that would be great in an ongoing campaign, every few mysteries or so, but it's not gonna apply to your everyday type of hunting unless I'm writing that kind of story. I wanna line that move out 
so that Josh doesn't wind up picking it right. and having a move yeah. that's useless for him during the game. But they call that removing those sand traps or those dead ends. Like anytime when you're building uh, pregens or selecting pregens from a list of pregens. For example, if you're playing a 5e-based high fantasy game, D&D, Watsy, thank you very much. They have a nice list of pregens that you can get. You can go on their tool, D&D Beyond, and get a whole and and do lots of pregens. But here's the beauty of the here's the thing there are built-in traps within some of them. Mm -hmm. And so you do have to, when you're running a game, especially one-shots at conventions, and one-shots in general, but specifically at conventions for a whole host of reasons, a lot of which we're going to continue to get into, you have to be very careful about that selection. If If you're doing a game that has no undead, Two of those cleric ones that you typically come across are undead slayers. Right. Don't put them in there three quarters of their abilities don't apply. That's not going to help you. And if you do need a cleric to be an option because Watsi didn't choose to provide you one, you Mm. now need to go build a different cleric and you can use their same tools. Just build another cleric at the appropriate level that does have some things that are that apply. Mm-hmm. And so that that's your advice is sound, Glenn, right. because you have to curate what's going to work because what you don't want at your table is people be feeling unsatisfied because right. they didn't get to do any of the things on their sheet. Yeah, if none of their cool stuff works today and everybody else has cool stuff, they're just going to sit there and feel bored and depressed. Right. Yep. And I just had an epiphany. Yeah. As opposed to me talking about all of the points. We're illustrating this point with my yeah. game and then we'll move on and let you talk about time boxing early when you could talk about the time boxing part or other yeah. pieces yeah, of yeah. aspects. Bouncing back to the player piece, the last piece of advice I have there is you need some character tie-ins because these are four or five people, six people who've never played together before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Their characters don't know anybody. So write a story where the characters already know each other and give them some detail to work with. Well, and building linked NPC, built linked pregens. Right. Like that's like, honestly, rule number one is make sure that, especially when you're dealing with, when I get into time boxing, because that's one thing that I definitely want to go ahead and talk about specifically, but that's, that's one thing that saves so much time right. at the table, at a convention table. And is, on the upside, yeah. empowered by the apocalypse games, most of them have a link the characters together component right. in them already in character yeah, generation. That's, so that's built into the game. Yeah. So. If you're running monster of the week during the introduction section, every playbook comes with a list of things that apply to them and you choose one of those relations for every other table person yeah. at the table and they have a similar list from their playbook so by the time you're done everybody has a connection to every other player at the table then it lets them start to even as they're discussing that it was magic at the table yesterday i loved watching yeah. it as the players started riffing off of each other as they came up with these and it's not just checking a box and picking the line anymore they're telling their own story right. as they yeah. develop this interconnection and that's what made the game so magic yeah. Yeah. It, it really calls to mind a thing that has always been quarter the way Tabletop Journeys writes and plays and does and, and runs games, which is collaborative world building. Yeah. Powered by the Apocalypse is a very collaborative game in general. That game system really calls for it, but specifically, and Glenn ran a scenario, not the exact same scenario, I don't believe, but... But uh, you played on? Yeah. No, different one today. Yeah, for my myself, my youngest son, his wife, and his youngest son. Yeah, I was going to play this exact one with you guys, but because you might have signed up for my game today, mm-hmm. if you're game didn't fill yeah. i pivoted and ran a different story for you so you wouldn't be playing the same thing yeah, twice exactly but when but even though the four of us have game together at many tables many game systems this was new for a couple of us in in general but we all are role players we like to feel the connection we want to play the character we want to know what's going on that mechanic is like the collaborative world building thing, book that we did our very first right. book was a collab was a 
a list of collaborative world building topics available on DMs Guild. Traveler's Guide. To, <laughs> the title is the Traveler's Guide but, to Collaborative but, World Building. But, it is available on DMs Guild Copper Cellar. Yeah, it's, but the key is with that is that it let us make the connections and the way you then organized that was very cool because it wasn't necessarily me with my son. You had me connect with Nate, your son. You had Trish connect with Quentin, my son, and then that's how we did that. So seeing where people are connected at your table when you sit down is very key to what Glenn's talking about. You want people to play with the groups that they're used to, but if you want people to integrate in some ways, you may have to get a read on the table. Your observation skills, your, your, your yeah, your observation skills are going to need to be on point so you can say, mm -hmm. okay, these two kind of know each other. They're good. Do they know? Does it seem like they know each other? So a little bit of conversation before you start the game or as people are looking, pay attention to that because if it looks like they know each other but one's going to be shut down if they're not working with that person, make that the connection that you need to do. But if it looks like they're both fine to role play with new people, make the that cross connection so that you can build connections at the table in general because anything you can do to help that it's going to yeah. help that overall engagement and i think that's one of those things too that with powered by the apocalypse the connection between individual players is so key in general to that game you've got the in other builds of powered by the apocalypse i don't know if they've got this build in or the, this kind of mechanic in monster of the week or not the power dynamics between players at the table where mm -hmm. Player X has power over me, and I have power over somebody else. Like in masks, that's one. That's a mechanic. In the real thing, too, we had that kind of relationship where it's right, I experience. We got to come up with a connection. A connection, right? And, had and, to do and a lot of it was else. that I had done something against your character, or I had or done something to help your character. So it manufactured those connections mm -hmm. through the game front. So does Monster of the Week first of all have that same kind of dynamic where it's like the connections between players are not necessarily complimentary sometimes there's some strife that's built into there first of so all. if yeah. depending on the options along those lists yeah there's some yeah. options like yeah. that you can choose that somebody is your apprentice or that you're teaching them if yep. you're the expert or the initiate there's different things along those lines yeah. one of the things that i think is important in that instance is to make sure that both parties agree especially when you're playing with players if there's any kind of subordinate and superior role in yeah. that relationship, both people should be on board. Because yep. it's not like playing with your regular group where you can make sure in advance and talk to everybody and yeah, yeah. set up characters. So yeah. I crossed out some of those when yeah. I was doing my playbook maintenance to make sure I didn't wind up with an issue where someone was like, you're my bitch. Yep. <laughs> I don't care if you like it or not. Because I didn't want to deal with that at my table. So thank you, first of all, for hitting that the shot that I teed up for you right off, because I wanted to go ahead and start talking about time boxing. And the thing that I was wrestling with a lot when I did, so I also ran STA like you did yesterday. Yep. And you and I had a conversation kind of leading up to that game about how you and I co-DM our Star Trek actual play. When we're talking about planning a game session for our Patreons or even for, for the actual play, mm -hmm. they're like five-hour game sessions. And they are five-hour game sessions with people that some of them we've played with for decades, right? right? Yeah. And so we know those players very well and those players know us very well. Yep. So planning a five-hour game session for those crews is, there's you have to, you, you gotta pack a lot of meat into that pie. There is a lot that has to go into that to go ahead and make sure, because I mean, even when you think about it from a logistical point of view for the podcast, we're taking those actual play episodes, those five-hour game sessions and condensing them down into three, three or, or four, four. Right. episodes. So it has to be in that five hour span, four hours of action that people will actually want to listen to, right? But our group plays together well enough, that's yeah. not usually an option. Right, exactly. I've made this joke before too, that sometimes like episode two is a two towers episode, right? Where nothing really happens. 
happens and people just walk from one place to another. Right. It's you a know, filler episode. It's, it's a filler. Okay. Yeah, exactly. I love but the it's two always towers, important. Mind you. you can't skip it. Like, but that's my favorite. It's also the two that's towers, right? Yeah. You can't, I can't call yeah. it my favorite, but I did enjoy the film. I yeah. see a little bit more value in it than Josh does, but yeah. I do see what I also get with these things. I go back to the book. Not just that. I enjoyed that book better than most of the other than the other books. Like, did you also enjoy On the Road by Kerouac? Was that? I didn't read that one entirely. No, no. no. Right. so probably not. So we're not dive into that. Yeah, yeah. but um, but but yeah. the, where I was going with that though is that like when you're planning that much episode for those players, planning five hours worth of content is a lot of content. Yeah. When I picked up to go ahead and do an SDA game here, it's a four-hour block with people that I had never met before. You and I actually had the conversation. I was like, if it was going to be a four-hour game with anybody with a group that I know, I would have this like three to three and a half hour long ticker in my head. I know that I really need to go ahead and fill three and a half hours worth of content for four or five people that I know. But here, I'm going to be have people. I'm going to have people that potentially do not know the system very well because STA, while it's getting bigger and the mm-hmm. 2D20 system by Modifius has a bunch of kind of permutations and builds and stuff out there, still not widely known. And I reached out to the players ahead of time and said, "How many of you have STA experience?" And some of them had played some, but not everybody had played a lot, and some people hadn't played any. Right. So that was there was going to be talk of mechanics, and the people are going to be learning the mechanics through the gameplay, which right. thankfully 2D20. It does that really enough. well. It, there are logical things that can happen. You should say, okay, and now we're going to talk about determination because this has happened. So let us talk about how determination is you, that kind of thing. But even beyond that, I was like, the ticker in my head was not three to three and a half hours for a four-hour slot. It was more like two hours, yeah. right? Because I was like, there's going to be a lot of in-between in talk. There's going to be a lot of kind of, we're going to have to figure out who's going to play what, how are the roles going to break out, which much like Monster of the Week, that's something that was Star Trek the story between the characters is automatic, right? Mm-hmm. You guys are, in this particular mission, you are an away team from a ship. You all serve together. You have the same boss. Your boss is saying, you're going on this away mission. And right. that's that. That's So the background piece was very easy. Yeah, and um, if you're like, hey, boss, yeah. we need to talk. We, we, he, he's like, seriously? Seriously, no, I'm your XO, go. Right. Uh, you know, and the toughest part was deciding who at the player was going to be the, the, um, the, the senior squad member as mm-hmm. the point person, which became interesting too, because the senior squad person wound up being like uh, an operations manager, lieutenant grade, l- lieutenant junior grade, and the medical officer who was a commander uh, on the pregen was like, "I'm actually the senior officer, so why am I not the point person?" And the lieutenant junior grade says, "Because XO said so." That was it. That was the explanation that was necessary. Right. Cool. Because you're um, a science officer, and I come from a right. security, yeah. <laughs> so, security ship defense mission, so. background. So the point that I was trying to get to with time boxing, though, is that you've really got to be very conscious about what options you have as a storyteller and yep. what options you take, right? When I'm crafting kind of in like a single episode or a single adventure or something like that, I'm very much like kind of like a web of activities kind of player where it's players will, they will move from encounter A to encounter B, but encounter B could be any one of four different things. And depending on what encounter they pick, then opens up other options. And sometimes they, sometimes it fans out and fans back in and that kind of thing. But for the most part, there's a web of opportunities, including situations where it's like, there are seven things that could happen here, depending on how much time you need to fill, pick however many are appropriate and keep going through these things to not kill time, but build narrative for lack of a better phrase. Those options had to be really limited yesterday. Like, I did not have a lot of options because if I wanted the opening and the end game that I knew I wanted, I could not get bogged down. I had to have a lot of off ramps mm-hmm. in this, right? So, oh, they. I expected them at one point it was basically going to be like dungeon crawl style because they were an away team on another ship and they had to get from one point to another. Right, like we were on the asteroid. And yeah, the exactly, like on the asteroid. But there were a bunch of things that you could have explored on the asteroid and you explored a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Imagine that kind of thing where it's, okay, there are 10 rooms that they can go into. The team yesterday only went into two of them. Right. And at two of them with 
an hour and change left in my session, I was like, you know what? I need to go ahead and bring my, my bring the end game in right now. And so thankfully 2D20 supports that because yep. if any of you are familiar with the 2D20 system, right? Like I had a bunch of threat, just like a bunch of threat. It was a Cthulhu inspired STA game. So there was a condition in place that anytime they would gain momentum, I actually gained threat instead. So they were they got actually momentum locked, which made it a little weird. So we got to tweak that. But at the end of the day, I was able to go ahead and basically spend a bucket load of threat to go ahead and say, mm, the scene is mine now. I'm going to tell you what's happened. And basically, players, you just have to respond to what I'm about to say. Right. So it's like, I've got way more game planned than I'm going to be able to get to in this time frame. Right. So I really am going to need to go ahead and cut out an awful lot. And so having that off-ramp to go ahead and say, okay, here I am. I'm only at stage two of 10, but I've got to get to stage nine right now. Right. Being conscious of that off-ramp was very important. So, I, so I could totally feel your pain. Yeah. And I will say that I was planning or trying to plan for two and a half to three hours of content for a four hour block, but with Powered by the Apocalypse, the story's all improv. Whether or not they win or not, how it's gonna end, a conclusion, I don't get to decide any of that in advance. All I've got is a group of locations that are detailed, a group of characters that are detailed, and clues that can be found in the different locations. They decide where they're going, they decide what they're investigating, yeah. and you have no idea where they're gonna go. So I'll get to your question in just a second. So the way you work, the way I yeah, work that out saying. is I'm like, okay, so what I've gotta do is not be stingy, not hold back yeah. on the little bits of information. If it's somebody who knows something but they're reluctant to reveal it because it might be self-implicating, et cetera, I can't have them play that close to the chest in a convention game because if that stonewalls them on that lead and they wind up going down three others before they figure it out, the next yeah. thing you know, we're out of time. Right. So if they made successful roles, I gave them solid information up front. They made their choices about where they went with it, yeah. but the choices they make led them on a path straight through the story, which was fantastic because okay. I ended on the perfect amount of time. Okay. So I hit the nail on the head by accident is the moral <laughs> well, of that say, story. Yeah, because my question was very much going to be, how do you take that level of openness and I guess chaos, for lack of a better term, and actually make sure that they get to a satisfying ending if you know that you've only got four hours worth of time. So the rule of Monster of the Week, like it says it right in the book, is no matter how much they investigate, it always comes to a fight because you got to fight something ah, in order okay. to solve a, a supernatural, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? So if as so I'm, watching, as I'm yeah. watching the clock, the monster can be wherever I want it to be. Mm. It's got <laughs> a few places where it is. But if time's running low, I can have the monster appear on the scene, especially if somebody rolls something terrible and winds up with this consequence. Like right, yeah, yeah. you draw immediate and dangerous attention to yourself. Yeah. Suddenly Bone Cruncher, the red cap, enters the scene because he heard what was going on and you got the big bad of the fight yeah. right now. So it was like that. It's as they deviated, I kept giving them juicy nuggets that kind of led them in a direction, but they made the choice of which path they went. And then I thought they were going to go straight to Oberon, King of Fairy, and cross through the stone circle right off the bat. But no, they just hung out there for a little while, had a picnic, met a fae lost, and decided to take them back to town to try to help them remember who they used yeah. to be. Yeah. So yeah. I helped them do that, and then they went back to the forest yeah. and got them right back on nice. track. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's your off-ramp then. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So that's your off-ramp, is basically the monster can just appear. Yeah. But yeah. they have to have figured out the weakness, because in Monster of the Week, you cannot kill the monster until you've figured out its weakness and used it against them. 
they either will not die or come right back or maybe come back in six months or five years, depending on the type of monster. But if you don't figure out their weakness to use it against them, the monster is not finished. But the beauty of that... So you can end a scenario without them winning. You'll be able to talk eventually. I was going to say, the (laughs) the beauty of that scenario is just that. Because you can still win that fight and have absolutely lost the war because you're done. you got to move on to the next city. And then your Denoma is... And while you're in... Now that you've moved on to Topeka because you were dealing with this thing in... Handfast, right. Michigan, is you hear that the creature's back, and you're right. like, damn, we failed. Yeah, six months later, he's in another town. <laughs> yeah, or, and, and, and you're yeah. like, okay. Wrecking people and, again. And so, again, satisfying game. You did the thing. They thought they won, but they realized mm-hmm. they didn't quite get it. Now, the next time we hit Dayton, they can come back and do it again, if and, that's how it went down. In <laughs> fact, in the Crit Show, one of the things that they did in one of their storylines is the guys fought... And this wasn't even aired, unfortunately, so I've never heard this episode because it was done at a con and they had audio problems, so it was never released. Mm. But they fought basically a big bug man that, that made like fist-sized mosquitoes that Muscle. launched into the back of your neck and Muscle. took over your mind. And they saved all the civilians and they technically won the mission, but the big bad got away. Yeah. So I did get to hear the one later where the mosquito dude had set up, set up shop again and they had mm. to come back after him. Because, yeah. yeah, he's still out there. And he's yeah. still, he could take a specific, you could have him take a specific interest in the characters and hunt them directly. There's yeah. lots of ways that you can take that juicy nugget of plot and twist it yeah. to come back to haunt them later. I'm, I'm sensing a, like a weekly world news monster of the week game yeah. could be hot. Anyway. To put a finer point on it, when, with that game or with games that are extremely open the answer is just make sure your end goal is something that's movable within your story. Mm-hmm. So you are either generally doing one of two things when you're running a game at a convention. You are running a boxed adventure, however you may manipulate it, or you're running something homebrew. If you're running something homebrew, you make your own story and you can make that ending movable. Yeah. So you can have your monster decide, okay, they've done enough that the monster knows who the, that he, somebody's coming after him and we've got an hour left. That's just enough time for me to have this, this boss battle. So now the boss goes to them. They didn't get through all the clues. They didn't do all of the things, but the boss knows that they're afterwards. Part of that construction and part of what you need to do at the table is make sure you offer narrative bites that when you're done... It doesn't necessarily tell the players that they're being watched, but it's you got to give those foreshadowing moments so that at the end, when the boss shows up, they're like, oh, he was watching us all along. And it might be as simple as the, the guy with the cabbage cart shows My up cabbages. and you see it like all of a sudden it's like when that threat roll is made and the, and the big boss shows up you see the guy with the cabbage carts there they are boss and then that guy runs away right that is enough because if they if you made a point of having that cabbage guy in each of those earlier scenes they're like that guy it was laid throughout and right. they can connect all so those dots the, backwards that's yeah. the key you gotta so, give those foreshadowing moments and Lee Winnick is a master of that like yeah. I played um, in a game where he had an NPC that didn't show up until midway through the campaign that was in the first game in oh the god totally yeah. yeah frustratingly good at that yeah. and, and, and to use an example of a situation that is frustratingly bad at that I'm gonna go into video games for just a second Skyrim mm-hmm. when you first enter the town of Markarth mm-hmm. and the very first thing that happens you walk through the gate oh you're at Markarth for the first time now you can fast travel here the very first thing that happens is that there's a woman behind a cart that's 10 feet in front of you and she just gets killed right done dude you can just and walk like, away though you know? yeah so who the hell even is who and then, then you get a quest find out who killed so and so like why would i give a crap who killed so i have because no you're a idea. hero 
Josh, because you're a hero. Eh. Yep. I and, mean, it, and beware at the Dragonborn's not the best anti-hero. Of forced, you want to do this. If you don't write that into a backstory, like you're the kind of guy that did this and this, and you can write pregens or select pregens from a list of existing ones and then write a little backstory. You came to this yeah. town because you wanted to do X, Y, or Z. And as long as you have your varied amount of pregens that have their own versions of that, then you're okay to do something like that. But if you go into a game where that's just so-and-so got killed, by the way, this is the only mission on the menu board of things to do, everybody yeah. sees through that. Like you'll have, you'll yeah. likely have players at a convention who are like, I'm just here to play this game. I realize that's crap. Oh, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and what you'll do is you'll have people who have fun doing the game, but that game stops being memorable. And for most of us who are running games at conventions, whether we're doing it from a business standpoint, we want people to be uh, purchasing our products, purchasing our games. We're doing it. We want people to listen to our additional content on air. Thank you all. <laughs> uh, or it's just you love running games. You want people to say. And you want to support the hobby and spread I right. love that like I remember that moment when Glenn's talking about that home game that I did that was actually a convention game so I, I will actually talk about that I have a game world that I've been playing that I built I had been running it at home version for some really close friends it, the game I was running was myself my youngest we started this when he was like 12 or 13 he's 17 now so four yeah Barstar Chronicles we ran started for several it years. we sent it two years before pandemic so we're, we've been at it for a minute it's my one of my older friends. I've known him since I was in the army. In my twenties, he was my battle buddy. His two kids played a couple, one a couple years older than mine, and one the same age as mine. So it was designed as a family game. Glenn and his wife played it at times, but we played that game for a while. I was going to a local convention that during the pandemic was doing just virtual. They had gone completely virtual. It's called Drinking and Dragons. We talk about it all the time on the show. It's a very fun convention. If you're in New England, I strongly recommend going. Yeah, three times um, a year. It's they up. are no longer virtual. They only do live now that we're post-pandemic, which is... Right. I love you guys. I know. Please Maine, do virtual. So you. many people listen to our show that want to be a part of your event. If you allowed at least one or two virtual DMs, like we know some folks in, in Dayton, Ohio, I'm betting they're gonna they'd be lo would love to run a game for you. But at any rate, what we found, what I wanted to do was do a game in that world because my group was going in their directions, and I really wanted to detail this northern section of my campaign world. So I did a one shot, and it was a simple mission. It was. You get, a caravan got lost, you're hired to go find out what happened to this caravan and bring back any survivors. Simple. Three-day check into the mountain. Oh, by the way, there's a big, massive storm coming. Be careful. The enemy nation that we don't get along with is bordering to, to, the, to the west. That's the plot. It is really boring from a plot standpoint. It is so token, it has been in 15 billion no novels. It has been in 15 bi billion different shows. What I did to make that different is I have a game world that has some very unique features, and I personally created the pregens. And I created each of the pregens with a specific backstory. So every pregen character had a tie to another character. And then in that process, I created a lot of pregens. I didn't create six because I have a table of six. I didn't create eight because I had a table of six. I created like 20. And then I did little backgrounds for each of them and then let people pick them. So the way people picked is they picked what they wanted. Not every character necessarily had a tie to one of the characters that was also picked. By accident, three of them did. That was enough. 
I started the scenario in a place that the mission was already accepted. I didn't say, you go to a tavern, there's a mission, will you take the job? It started with, you have all accepted this job. You have accepted the payment, taking money off the table. There's no, what is it really worth it? I didn't have any negotiation about that. Right. I started beyond that point. The job has been taken. You're only here to get the details of when you leave and get set up. I then went to a gear up session where, because it's northern stuff and I like resource economy, so I, and that was my bit to watch their role play. So they go in. I set the scene and I describe all the people in the bar and one of the bad guys was one of the people in the bar. And I described him, I gave him a nice little voice and he said a couple things and I made sure his description was very clear. Very clear. And then they did that, they did their gear up, they, had, they did that mission, they started on the mission, we had a great time, this group really role played well, went a bit long for time, so I was learning lessons back at this time, this was several years ago, mm-hmm. and uh, what I decided when we got short, because we were quite a bit far, I got to a good break point, it was a satisfying break point, they had gone through several encounters, two combats, they were really happy about what was going on, I said, how about we just make sure I said, I can fast play this and we can go through it, or we can just set up time where we'll get together at a later point in, in, in a couple weeks and we'll just finish the rest of it. They're like, oh, we all want to play. Did the next one. And then I was like, I really had a good time. Let me ask you all a question. How would you all like to just keep playing this game? And they're still and, part of and the game. And here we are four years later. These characters are, they started end of first tier they are now 17 18th levels uh, uh, in that age we're still playing and we're getting ready to we're, we're starting to do the setup for the next campaign stuff but the key for doing that was that pre-gen we talk about a lot of things i'm telling you when you do a convention game the quality of your pre-gens the ability for a player to engage with the pre-gen mirrors their ability to engage with your game there's some mechanical things and we'll get into that next but that you'll have to do to get that game engagement the system you use curating the type of people your your elevator pitch to get people to your table to sign up for your table all those things need to be really on point so you get the right people at your table but once you have them at your table You've got to get them engaged and you've got to keep them engaged. Yeah. And I do that personally with NPC characters. I tend to do some voices, not a lot. Some are great, some are pretty poor. Yeah. But I, it is always for me about how I describe things. I'm really good at a tavern scene about describing the menu. On my phone, this one right here, I have two or three different crazy little apps that are just about a menu. So I can go and they say, okay, what do, uh, I will have a server come up and I'll have the server of blah, blah, blah species. And sometimes I might random like roll, I'll just roll a d20 and that's how good they look or how bad they look. And I can lean into that. And I, on the fly, whatever I feel the group is like in for, do they seem more comical? Do they seem they want to play a more serious game? And I just lean into where they're going. That's why it's very key, like I said earlier, to pay attention to when they're selecting. Start a conversation when they sit down. Plan your session with a good 15 minutes at the table for picking pre-gens. Starting conversations. Hand out lollipops. 
hand out <laughs> stickers, ask where people are from. The folks who are actually here in the room are realizing that these are the things that I actually did prior to setting up, right? right? Cut some jokes with your buddies who are at the tables next to you who are running games also. These are some things that you do and watch their reactions. That'll tell you the kind of humor that they're into. It'll tell you the kind of action that they're into. Talk about some movies. What's the latest show that they really liked? If they start talking about Fringe or the Exorcist movie that they caught last week, they're going to be into a, a kind of game that's going to be a little darker, a little more direct, a little more narrative. If they're talking about, hey, man, I, I watched Big Bang Theory last night and it was a riot and we're having a blast. They, they, we're geeks. We all like all of that stuff. Yeah. Let's be honest. Yeah, let's geek out. It's okay. But if they're talking about it in Safe that base. moment, that's your grab. Yeah. That's your grab. And all and of that. you have to pay attention to those things. Those observation skills, that's really important to build and keep that engagement. And all that brings up a, a really great perspective that we hadn't actually specifically discussed about the difference between an at-home game and a con game that I think that now's a great time to point out that for a convention game your player awareness reading your group and watching what they're responding to and what they're not responding to that game your, your game there needs to be on point because if you're playing with the guys you've always known, you're already going to write story content that's going to fit their humor, that's going to fit their play style, and they're just going to jam with it most yeah. of the time. You still got to watch them just yep. in case you throw out one that goes flat. But when you're playing with a bunch of people you don't know, you have no idea what the senses of humor at the table are. You have no idea what pop culture they're into. Okay. So you really have to be watching them. Because if you're running a game that's definitely leaning into comedy, but you get a group of people that are all about the serious epic role play tale, you're going to have to pivot and you're going to have to keep them engaged by telling the kind of story they want to play even just awareness at the table has to be a little bit even more on point i noticed when i was running my game that just the way that the table had set down and the way that i was sitting that there was a player off to my right who was sitting further away from the table from everybody else and so i found myself addressing the four people that were within my range of shot my, my range of vision and not the fifth person and so it was really just a subtle change where i just scooted my chair back about eight inches Bring them in and it opened up my vision and then all of a sudden that player was super engaged and i realized okay they're not in how do i get them in because you gotta get them in, you gotta get them in. hey everybody it's josh hope that you are enjoying the replay of our live show from a catacon uh, really great time hanging with michael ross and the rest of the crew from the rpg academy but i want to talk about a product that was waiting for me when i got home now you all know that i talk about a lot about how my life is pretty busy and coffee is absolutely my best friend uh certainly first thing in the morning uh, that first cup of coffee is really uh necessary and i find myself drinking coffee a lot throughout the day to go ahead and keep that level of energy and focus up throughout the day so instead of kind of leaning into my coffee i've been drinking magic mind which is a nootropic and adaptogen shot uh that you can uh you can take to go ahead and help increase your focus cut, cut the energy drinks out, out of your diet cut down on all that excess sugar you know i've been taking it for a couple of days now really excited to be talking about what the effects that i'm seeing you should t absolutely check it out for yourself tons of ingredients uh that are really really great for you uh, all natural ingredients and matcha bakapa manieri ashwagandha all sorts of things that are really going to help you keep your focus and get your energy up and I'm finding that I don't need that mid-afternoon coffee anymore, which is really kind of the best thing for me, too. I'm getting better sleep. Uh, and, man, you know, with, uh, with book number four fully in the uh, process of being written right now, the increase in my creativity has been not lost on me. So... 
we'd like you all to go ahead and check it out also it's called magic mind you can use our special discount code to go ahead and get a discount on a subscription or on your first one-time purchase if you just go to www.magicmind.com slash tabletop uh, and use uh, subscription code tabletop 20 that will be uh, what you would need to go ahead and get a 20% discount on a one-time purchase uh, and a subscription if you'd like so Go ahead, try it out, see what effects you like, um, and we'll be talking about it on the show here for the next few weeks. So, yeah, hope you enjoy. Back to the show. The other thing that I wanted to go ahead and say is that, so I, I see our friends from Bud Stuff here. When we were running We Can Be Heroes earlier, what was awesome, awesome was game. the way... Let me cut you off here. We Can Be Heroes, awesome game, yeah. not just because you're here live, but yeah. also because we absolutely had a tremendous blast. Really a lot of fun. If there was another couple hours, yeah. I would say throw us a couple other characters, let me play again, because yeah. I had friggin' fun. That so was that, a blast. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for and that. We're very happy. Like I said, we'll be talking about having you on the show in a yeah. more official capacity yeah. later. But Audience, I, you will hear from these guys yeah. again. Gay run teed. What I wanted to say more specifically, <laughs> though, was that the characters that you brought were diverse enough to be fun that none mm -hmm. of us really had any kind of overlap nope. Nope. either thematically or, or mechanically and so I know that's and I know that it's a little bit different because that wasn't really a con game there's more of a play test right yeah. you're still like working out the rules and everything like that so the kind the of party uh, balance was on point the rules yeah. were, are a little bit different or not, maybe not rules but the way you have to approach the problem is a little bit different but that kudos to you guys for taking characters that were so diverse to a make a successful play test because we have played the play test game before and it is the Hard. devil Hard, <laughs> right? Really um, hard. And make sure that you get enough of a sample out there. But also that I didn't feel like you and I could both do ranged things. But, but they were very different. They were very different. And you and I could both do, I can travel really fast things, but they were different. And we nope. would use them in different ways. Actually, travel faster. I just teleported just, instead of walk. Exactly. So it looked and right. even with the other player who actually sat at my STA table yeah. Friday, he could do some close things. My character had the ability to do close things, but right. they were vastly different yeah. in application and effect as well. Yeah. So it, it was a great example. So in a homebrew setting, you need to write for that. Think yeah. about that when you're selecting and or creating your pretense. Mm -hmm. or play a game where the narrative can alter based on what you get. So STA is a great example of a game where it is easily malleable regardless right. of what roles are played. So with my particular game, and I did mine as a learn to play, I did a similar thing. I didn't just use the stock pregens that come with the starter set, though that they were an option. I have taken the time to curate a much larger list I took every role in the game, did a human for each of those, and then I took those same roles and did a non-human species for every one of those. And then I did two or three non-Federation characters as well. Yeah. So there's this nice smattering. But the beauty of the STA game is, if I had all security, because it could have had three people who took all security. Now... When I go through that narrative, I set it up as more of a conflict scenario where it's designed to be about the security operations. I would probably have an NPC be the pilot just to get that out of the way. But then I these guys, the same choice, actually, with my right? game. And, yeah. these, and now it is about the security guys, their mission, and I would alter the book text because I did a book mission. Right. But I would alter it to be your job is to go in and secure the site. Yeah, I always the, alter it. Like my Monster of the Week game, I build as my version of yep. yeah. Dream Away. And that's the, the key. If I have oh, all medical people, it is 
my MPC now, I would just have one of them fly because anybody can fly a shuttle, right? But now I would have my MPC be one security person whose job it is to get them to the spot, and I would probably be looking for a complication that knocks that security guy out. So now the medical people have to get to the science facility to save the people at the science facility, and now their security guy who's out in dead weight literally or figuratively around them so you can manipulate those things within the game now there are some games that's harder on a field actually i want to go ahead and and draw on something that you just said so because you and i made the same choice we did not have this conversation ahead of time but we both made the same choice and it's the both of us used a pilot and both of us made the npc a pilot why I so, know why I did it, but why did you? Do so it? I didn't have to because I had a player do it, but I have run the mission I ran okay. four times this year. And in one of those scenarios, nobody picked the pilot, so my, I had the NPC be the pilot. Yeah. And then and the scenario starts with the crash land. Like you start, you have some things you can do, but the ship is crashing. There's nothing you can do. You start with that narrative. Again, start beyond the point that's going to hang you up so right. you're not in that time. And the guys over there at Bud Stuff who did. We can be heroes for us today, especially they were running playtesting combat yep. scenario, but that worked perfectly. We sat down, we knew exactly what was going on. They laid out the scenario, and bam, yep. we were in it. And we're in. Your heroes, you have to save the innocent victims. Go. That's yep. like- There's a bunch of victims right here. You've got this number of assailants that you can see. Your job is to save the city. They gave us a great elevator pitch to set up the town and set up the scenario where it's yep. like you have. I'm going to try to do my best. I don't have your call sheet with me, but it was your scenario is the police are paid to look the other way crime is rampant in certain net, net areas this is in the, the warehouse district and and they're go, go. Yeah. and all of a sudden it's there it's okay and cc dodger that's the character i played you're up first and my character's got a bat with ranged attack and i'm like send the heat and we're, <laughs> and we're at it so you want to think about that bunch of um, henchmen Bunch of henchmen. Two big bosses, one called Big Galoot, the other one called B-flat. Yeah, eventually. Don't give away all the secrets. (laughs) And no one's hitting it the way TTJ hit it, I will say that. That was the thing. But the rescue at Xerxes 4, which is the starter adventure that's in the core book for STA, is fantastic because it starts with the shuttle already crashing, like I just said, Mm -hmm. and you're in mid-year as you go. Similarly, if you start, if you take the starter box at, it has a series of three adventures that are campaign, so it's mini campaign style, that are very well linked to one of my favorite TNG episodes, but you're on a ship, the mission has already been given, here you are, go. When I did an Eberron campaign at a previous Drinking and Dragons, when they first came back from pandemic, we were actually still wearing masks, still having to show our cards, all that stuff. I did a Midnight Train to the Mornlands, a homebrew uh, adventure that I was writing. It's not been published yet. There's still some things. It's Eberron setting, but I did the, a similar thing. You're already on the train. All my NPCs belonged to different houses or had different roles. They knew the houses. And the idea is the players were hired to protect this couple that was going to this place. And they had this Romeo-Juliet thing, but they were hired to protect the couple, knowing that both families were out to get them on the train and go. And so they started, train's already rolling. The families that are out to get you, you got to keep this couple of young lovers from, one, being young lovers, and two, getting in trouble for being young lovers. So that's your mission. 
protect them and you're gone and it didn't take long there's some role play i wrote some of the npcs a couple of the npcs are loyal a couple of the npcs have history that they didn't like the couple but they were hired and they would do their jobs and so there was a little bit of that got a little wee little bit of role play but the train was rolling and in comes the attack and just started with it and go and i think that's that's the way to do it. Yep. Hit the ground running at a convention is how we could sum that up. Yep. Set, write your story to hit the ground running so yep. that your players can't get bogged down in a tea party and yeah. the carriage on right. the way to Candlekeep because <laughs> you don't have time for that. Exactly. Yeah, it we, was a phenomenal role-playing we moment make in an AP where we had yeah. time for it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. at a convention, yeah. if you give them the room to turn their introductions yeah. into two hours of role-play, you're not going to finish. Well, we have a question, right? Did you have a question? Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. There's obviously things that we need to do as game masters yep. to help. Are there things that the designers of the games do to facilitate the work, not facilitate our ability to run kind of a time, particularly the time constraint? Absolutely. Yeah. So before we dive, let me just go ahead and make sure that it gets picked up on audio. A friend of Sarah Jacksonson asked if we talk about what we can do as storytellers to go ahead and do to set up con games. Are there things that designers can build into their missions to make con games easier to facilitate uh, absolutely yes Offerance. i would say number one create a starter adventure in every one of your core books and products yeah. that's designed to teach designed the game. to teach the don't game. make us do that work don't make us do game. it make the play do that work for you this is what Star Trek's starter mission, Beyond the Stars, the Star Alcubri mission is amazing, the and the, the mission at Xerxes does. Time. The very first challenge you make is a simple challenge. The core mechanic of the entire game is the first event you do. The next one comes right after that, which is a slightly more complicated, and then further from there. So you are, in the course of this adventure, going to hit every one of the mechanics in the game, but you don't hit them all up front. Right. Or at if, least you hit all of the main mechanics. Yep, if right. you've got some obscure rules, falling rules in D&D, you don't fall that often. You could skip that one in the, in the, in the, core, in the learn to play, right? but hit all of the you main. You don't necessarily have to do ship-to-ship uh, -ship combat as far as if you're doing a fantasy role-playing game, unless that's the core of your game. Okay. So you focus on the core rules and your core product do that. Okay. The next thing that I think that game companies can do, whether they be large or independent, is at least once a year put out a new early starter adventure. A new version. I am yeah. not saying don't create higher level play, but put out some new kind of starter adventure because one of the things that I think is very important is other game masters who love your game will want to get other players to play your game. The consistent complaint among GMs is, I want to play a new game, but I can't find anybody to do it. The reason that happens is there's not enough starter adventures to make that worthwhile. The reason they do that is that they don't start a podcast to go ahead and do it. Yeah, that's what we did. We <laughs> wanted to find other players. We just started a podcast. Yeah, right. That's a little tough, and we can't handle that much camp competition. No, I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, but one of the problems with 5e is... It only had Lost Minds of Fandelver. It took them how many years before they did Stormwreck? And that's actually in advance. It's not necessarily the same level, per se. Right. It's different. And then they did another follow-up. What they needed to do is, every couple of years, let's do a starter one. Now, a lot of their campaign modules or campaign books start at low levels, but 
that's not good mm-hmm. convention play because it's a campaign starter. But a simple module, like almost going back to that old school where we're talking about a lower price point, it's a little simple thing, or maybe it's just a PDF on DMs Guild or drive through is really what you need to get people going. So I think having a consistent refresh of those things is important. I know I've been running Star Trek for a year now, mm-hmm. and I've run Xerxes Mission at every convention I went to. I've gone to five by the end of the year. That is fun. So one of the things I'm going to do next year is I'm going to find another mission that's convention ready. And if there isn't, I'm going to have to write it. So my next two months is planning the adventure I run for the next convention. I recommend lower level stuff because you want players to play. And at conventions, you are always likely to get at least one or two people who are new to the game. If you're running a game that's not 5e, or 5e based assume you're going to get players who are new to the game and always consider running a running a a learn to play version so i ran mine as a learn to play his was more of an advanced kind of getting started and i think that's really that's really the key and i so i want to make sure that Anybody who's watching this really has that in mind, especially content creators, as you go, just a little something. doesn't have to be fully involved. It might be not much more than what we did, maybe a little more dressing on the end of the scenario because we were doing a play test, but that's a brilliant play test. So maybe write the startup and the lead up to that or the follow-up. Maybe the whole game starts with that scenario. Dressing that up so it's a little bit more because that was a really good hour or so of play, hour yep. and a half. I think we did about an hour and a half because we were doing a lot of rules learning, which is perfect for a yep. learn to play. Adding that other piece to follow up, who sent the big bags to capture those people? Yeah. Or now maybe you get some kind of evidence, like now have them search for the evidence and find out one yep. of those people was not yep. actually... A, uh, a hostage. They were actually trying to get something from one of the other ones, so they staged their own capture so it wouldn't look on them. Thankfully, we did not need to go ahead and check any of the bad guys for yeah. evidence because you put them all into the dirt. Oh, yeah. yeah, like literally. Yeah. I put like, them into we the yeah. By the way, the guys at TTJ, we saved the hostages, but we would have failed any investigation <laughs> because there was, there was nobody left. We, we, we were rough. Hey, we streets, left the big so. galoot above ground yeah. so that we had somebody to turn over yeah. to the cops. It was like but. like Frank Castle would have been proud of this team. The steamrollers are all in, right? Yeah, I was like, right off the bat, they're like, um, that that's, gonna run I think away. that's like, nah, the kind of thing heroes. that you want in an adventure. So you've already got the heavy lifting as far as the big encounter to get you started. You do that investigation piece, you get a little role-playing piece, and then you th- just throw in a, now we get to the person who's really behind it, and now you've got a perfect, good three, four-hour block adventure, which is perfect at conventions. And honestly, that's how I structure my homebrew things. I think about, generally speaking, a three-act structure. There's not too much in any one act, and I do let it flow. Glenn said, if I want a lot of options in that second act, I will let them pick any one of those things, but... They're going to get core information out of each of those things. And the idea being, let the players decide which of those things they're going to have the most fun with. So they want to go a route, let them go that route. So you may have to do some work. You might be building four different encounters. One may be exploration, one may be conflict, one may be traps or puzzles, one may be some other thing. Mm-hmm. And I just mix a whole bunch of different genres on purpose, right? No, but that's you, actually perfect. You yeah. pick... All of those things, and then your players at the table will decide what they do because that's what's fun for the table. They go do that. The evidence they get or whatever they score at the end of that leads them to that final conflict, and then you do that final conflict based on whatever your game system is. And like I said, if you're running short on time, 
bring the big bad to them. Yeah, make right. it just make it happen. That's, yeah, and I think so, that's the key. Yeah, you mixed a bunch of different genres, but that's exactly what I did with my STA mission. So the STA mission began with. Again, like Dungeon Crawl, so there's your exploration stuff, you're trying to figure stuff out. Then began with a combat where like mm -hmm. a security team from the bad guys was sent to them, so they had to go ahead and fight their way through that. The next thing that's happened is that that's when I pulled the reversal and they failed. They basically failed their combat, were brought before the big bad who monologued like big bads do. And then they were presented with a puzzle and they had to go ahead and figure out how to get out of the puzzle. Yep. And once they got out of the puzzle, that that was the, there was the success. And it, But it's also, I also had to do the same thing that you did where the game was running too long and the mountain wasn't going to Muhammad, so I had to bring Muhammad to the mountain yep. and say, cool, you have not found the big bad yet? F tell you what, the big bad brings you to her. And that's, On the upside, I didn't have to do that. I yeah, had yeah. it ready, but they made it to the big bad in time to fight him. Yeah. And everything worked out well enough that I just gave a summary of some of the wrap-up afterwards that sure. they could have played through and had fun with. We just didn't have time. Yeah. Aftercare. But the original, the, the, the question of, can designers do more to help us teach these games? Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that all of that summed up into an answer is yes. And you should have these many scenarios in your opening adventure yeah. because you need to teach your full game. Yeah. So you need the exploration piece so that you can play with the skills and the concepts and the role playing aspects of the characters you've created. You need some skill checks so they can learn the skill check system. You need some role playing encounters that are heavy on that. And you need a combat encounter or two at least yeah. small one first to get the to, to, to get your feet wet and then separate it for a little bit, put something else in the middle, throw on a bigger one at the end. You need to take all of the pieces of your rules and showcase them in your opening adventure, or at least your major rules. And digestible chunks. And digestible chunks. And we'll do it. If we're into your game enough and we get sucked into the concepts and we love it and our juices start flowing and our minds are firing, yeah. we'll do it for we'll you. Take it and run. We'll master the rules if we like it enough. Yeah. And then we'll build something to teach the players that we're doing, yeah. but only if we like your game enough. We need the cheese yeah. plate first. Yeah, so one of the things that I think is also cool, and, and it came up, is a bit of aftercare as far as your games go. So when I ran the STA mission, I ran the first act exactly, pretty much exactly as written. Altar for the table based on the people who were playing. I ran the second encounter within that first act, the whole first act, which is two basic scenes, right? An intro and then an opening encounter. Pretty much straight by the book, straightforward. The second act is the one where in the Xerxes mission there are three separate things that players go through. And the idea in the written adventure is they go through all three. It's three separate encounters on the way to that science station. One of the things I've learned about running this adventure so many times is, depending on how fast we get rolling, how well people know the system, the learn-to-play elements can make that first act go a bit longer. And when I look at that, when I get to each act, at the end of each act, I do check the time. That is not out of boredom. That is not because I want to run. That's out of good game maintenance, right? Mm -hmm. I check the time. I know how much time I have. And I'm like, okay, I want to do the whole final act. The second act has the best ability to be, to be challenging. So then I decided that I was only going to run one of the three encounters in the travel yep. portion. Yep. I picked based on the types of characters I had, which ones they are going to have the most fun with. Not necessarily be most successful with, not necessarily fail at, but the ones they're going to have the most fun yep. with based on what I'm reading. So again, and that's what I meant by offering skills. Yeah. I then selected, in my case, the ravine one. There's two others that are really good. And I have run this where I played all three. CJ. But I found that with this group, it was going to work best with that. 
We ran the ravine. They had a blast. A lot of cool things happened. Then I got to the final act, and I was able to do the final act pretty much verbatim. There's a little time crunch somewhere around there. I And then it was just reordering a couple rooms. As opposed to making entirely a search through the facility, I pre-led. There's a noise in one room. You know where that room is. And they're like, we want to check this. We want to check that. They're all after the room where the sound is coming from. I'm like, okay, so we'll check the sound first. That's all I did. Never told them they couldn't. I just told them where the rooms were. Because it's a game I was running through to the mind, I didn't have to worry about a map being there. So I didn't have to worry about where it is. So be aware if you're using maps or map tools at these convention games, that can make that kind of thing harder. So if you're doing theory of the mind, you can just, you can change the order of where things are encountered to, al- to allow the game to advance the way you need it to. Yes. So they were still able to do all those other things, but they hit the things that they needed to hit first. And then they went from there, and then I was able to run the entire rest of it the exact way. I was able to get out in the proper amount of time for the adventure in my time slot. We finished at 5.20 that day. It was booked till 5.30. Nice. And when you can finish up that perfectly, that's pretty hot. That's pretty hot. Quick shout out to one of our fans at home who's watching on our live stream, BK Dan, one of our regular fans and Patreons. He's got great commentary. Coming in from the side, agreeing, pacing is Pacing key. is a thing, yeah. And uh, role-playing doesn't stop when initiative is rolled. All of that should be part of the game. But yeah, thanks Absol- for your input, B- yeah. BK Dan. And, and, and I should also shout, Dan has been around Tabletop Journeys for a long time. He actually plays. When I mentioned earlier about, I was talking with several folks about a fire. I don't know if I did that on this show or earlier. The convention has talked to somebody about a fire that took place in, in one of my games. His was the character that started that fire, yeah. by the way. So he, he, was cool. Yeah, he, he lit up a whole town. Yeah. yeah, he did. Yeah. He did start the fire, flipped the whole table, the whole thing, yeah. and which led to some great role play. So. We had a whole court case yeah. event after that. So I have one awesome. more thing to add on how to make your con game better, just sure. based on what you've been talking about yeah. and what I talked about, and connections happening and clicking in the brain. Something else to not be afraid of is pick your scenario for Monster of the Week. This was the first time yesterday that I ran this specific adventure, but my original plan was to play test it once beforehand, but again, I pivoted stories, and then I'm running the same one on Sunday, and then I'm running the same adventure for our Patreons. I won't have the same players in any group, but every time I run that story, I'm gonna get better at it, and I'm gonna be more prepared to pivot when it goes off the rails or doesn't go the direction I need it to. So with the convention games, you're sure not getting the same group of players all the time, Don't be afraid to run something you're super familiar with. Get familiar with it. Make it your convention game. If that gets boring, have two or three different ones that you pivot between, but that way you will always know your material when you sit down. Um, I want to point out the fact that BK Dan mentioned he can neither confirm nor deny he started the fire. And I should also (laughs) add, in the narrative of that game, he actually never got caught. Right. (laughs) The fire started and it was blamed on the whole team. Nobody on the team saw him do it. And so he's a dragonborn that spits fire. But they were. But he just sneezed. Nobody survived the building that the fire got started in. So they didn't. There was no evidence. And he also skinnied out of there. So a back way. So nobody ever knew he was in the building to begin with. So it's pretty good. Pretty good. But, yeah, my, my riff was basically just going into re, uh, a really good read on the material allowed me to get better at it. Glenn said, I just kept doing it. Next year, I'm going to do a different one. I'm going to get better at it every time. If you're a, a, a game master and not a content creator, if you're just somebody who does this because you, for love of the game, 
God bless you. It's amazing, and thank you for it. We need more GMs who are going to all these cons and continuing to run games. But if that's you're going to go in, you're going to you're going to want to get good at running a given scenario. Okay. Not don't run it till you're bored with it, but run it till you feel like. I've done this as good as it's going to get. Like, this is the pinnacle. And I think that's what I did yesterday. I had so much fun. I've had fun every time I did it. But I think yesterday, and that's not that anybody got short-shifted. It's just that I hit all the marks. I finally 100% got the adventure. I got all of the engagement in all the different permutations the adventure's been run, and I'm ready to run another one to that level. It's how you improve your skills as a GM. It's how you improve getting people to your tables. If you're running at games pretty consistently, going all to your local cons, occasionally flying out for another one, so you hmm. see you at a con next, next November. We'd love to have you here because we're hoping to be back. You're going to get people willing to play at your table. Go to your shop and run a game, even if the first three or four times there's only two people at your table. Every game shop I've ever been to doesn't have enough games being run there enough days of the week. Yep. Find a day. Run a table. It'll make your storytelling better. By the time you get to a convention, I treat my days at, 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 at my local store because I don't run my local games at my local store, but I do a lot of one-shots. So I will run the things I'm running at conventions at my local game shop. Stop at your local retailers like some of the ones we've met here and knock it out. All right. Before he continues, we are actually at time, if you can Ooh. believe it. We have we have done our we have set our piece. We have done our time. I wish that I could tell you what when this episode comes out on the podcast channel. I wish that I could tell you what next week's episode is going to be like I normally do, but I actually can't. My keyboard is way over there. Right. Thank you all for sticking around. Thank you everybody on the live stream for following us uh, and for watching the show. I uh, appreciate coming to you live. Yeah. We'll talk to y'all next week. The Catacon's been a blast. Thanks for joining us. Have a great night. Thank you to Uh, Michael Ross and the team at Catacon 2023. Y'all are awesome. Love it. Can't wait to come back next year. Good night, all. Good night. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. Join us at www.ttjourneys.com where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. You can also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram at TT Journeys, joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys, or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. Our full episodes come out every week on Friday, and every Tuesday features actual play and gameplay showcase episodes. Looking for early access? You can support the show and get episodes before everyone else at www.patreon.com forward slash TT Journeys. Check it out today and see all the awesome benefits we bring to our supporters. Lastly, if you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, or Audible, you would really appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform. Thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And we bid you fair tides, friends, for legends await.